Thank you for joining us today. This is Worth the Admission Podcast. My name is B. Frank. And I'm Travis. Have you watched Lucifer by chance? No. I see that really terrifying picture on the Netflix thing as I scroll by, but that's about it. It's pretty good. I started it on Sunday, and it's kind of like the supernatural Lucifer mentality, but in Los Angeles, which is hilarious. The actor, Tom Ellis, funny enough, looks like a cross between the guy who plays Tommy Merlin on Arrow and Ben Barnes from Westworld and Punisher. Okay. Jigsaw, the guy with messed up face. So it's pretty good. I'm almost done with the first season. What network was that on first? Because I know that wasn't on Netflix. Was it on Fox? Yeah, I think it was on Fox first. Okay, because that's the only thing I remember it from. Is it? What, I know it's on Netflix now. It's because it says Netflix original, even though I don't know what the first two seasons were on there or on Fox. Yeah, I'm sad. Speaking of Fox, the passage got canceled. I'm shocked. I enjoyed it. Nothing lives on Fox. It's hard. It's really hard. There's, but I know the it's reason like NBC. why. Well, the thing is, they might be canceling that because I know the showrunner who also did pitch that baseball show last season. They signed him to a deal, and one of his stipulations is he wanted to bring pitch back, which also has Michael Paul Gossler in it as well. So I don't know if they're canceling that to bring him in. But won't Disney change all of the Fox plans now that they have taken over the company? Wait, Wait. who is this? This is Brandon's fabled roommate Cole, and I'm just jumping in right now to ask, don't you think Disney will change the Fox lineup now that they've taken control? Yeah, it's very, very true. I mean, we, we have to see what's going to come out on Disney Plus first and what they're going to incorporate. But, I yeah, a big overhaul I could see in the next couple of years. Yeah. And, yeah, the, Fox is going to go a major underhaul, overhaul, I think. Kind of a remake. Because they have a lot of things to figure out. Because they got ESPN in that deal, too. So, I mean, they've got, they've got a lot of hats on right now. You know they're building a whole brand new... Oh, this is... Uh, out of interest in our news locally in Las Vegas, uh, Caesars and ESPN made a deal. They're actually going to build a TV studio down there somewhere on the strip. And uh, they're going to start doing TV shows down there with their new, uh, I don't know if they're going to be on the streaming service or what have you. But yeah, they're doing some big deal down in the middle of the link somewhere, down somewhere in Caesars Palace. That's pretty cool. Could you imagine watching a show like Game of Thrones on a huge ass screen with everybody else cheering with you? It'd be like a movie theater. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, you have the movie theater experience. I don't think you would ever have it as big as, like, people standing outside for, like, a sporting event. I mean, then that... You probably would have had that for Endgame if you would have just shown it on one big screen. I think you would have had 10,000 people show up for it. Cool. What did you think of Endgame? Because we've had a chance to talk about it, but... Well, you haven't on here. <laughs> For me, Endgame was awesome. I really loved it. Um, and, you know, let me just also say thank you guys for giving me a chance to be on here and for a chance to speak about it. But I loved Endgame. It was so amazing to see the culmination of so many years of work and so many years of just anticipation as a fan. I mean, you knew that this was coming, and I've been excited for it since. And, I mean, Brandon, how many how many years has it been? It's been like 10 years, I think, since Iron Man. 11 I mean, it is just amazing to see what they've done over the last 11 years. I really loved Endgame. I thought it was a phenomenal ending. I thought it was really powerful. I mean, the way that the storylines came to the end, I found very satisfying. I mean, it, it's difficult to see something like this come to the end, but at the same time, like, it has been one of the best journeys in cinema I've ever experienced. Part of the journey is the end, and it's going to be a completely different universe without him. I think also that spider-man is opening that up with everything else going kind of like celestial and super big and they're going off to space and doing all these like cosmic level events i think that spider-man opens the door for more superheroes by just being the friendly neighborhood spider-man you know by showing that it's okay just to be a hero who protects only the bronx well not only that but with speaking of that the spider-man trailer gives us a bigger look into something quite a bit bigger in the multiverse which is the first time we got to see this and but i still think tony's gonna be around i still think it's gonna be a big looming presence not all i not i don't even believe just for this movie for far from home but i think going forward he's gonna be that staple that people remember he's gonna be that bar however far many movies we go into he'll still be one of those few characters that they're gonna reference 
every single time. Well, and I think how their actions came about in Endgame really, and Infinity War is going to bring out a lot more superheroes, whether that be, you know, accidents or someone like Captain America who is made for that. I think that Tony's sacrifice is going to bring that out. He even says it, I think, in the trailer, like, this is completely different than a neighborhood Spider-Man. And then, of course, Fury goes, bitch, you've been to space. My my favorite line. That is my favorite line from that trailer. But I think that's just going to show so much. And I'm excited because we don't end on a somber note. You know, with the end, the bit of Endgame, even though it's the end and we were all okay with it, it's still very sad. I mean, the loss of Iron Man. And I think, for at least for me, I was very excited to see Captain America's story concluded as well, too. And that gave me a satis- you know, that bit of satisfaction, that fan service. But it's going to be nice to kind of see what the future beholds. And I think that's... I like that they move Spider-Man to being the last in this this saga. Well, I think it really because they're opening up the multiverse, it only makes sense to kind of leave it on that type of cliffhanger. Because when you think about it, all the MCU is is a long episodic TV show. Like you've had three seasons with the three phases, and each of those are twelve hours, give or take. So you have a whole season worth, and it's just TV on the big screen but much better. That's crazy when you put it that way. Now, Cole, you just graduated from Boise State, correct? Yes, I did just graduate from Boise State. And uh, I know you have a laundry list of under your major and minor and certificates. What What is all that? Yes, I just graduated with a bachelor's in communication with an emphasis in journalism and media production with a certificate in public relations and a minor in history. It took some time, but I, Just a little I bit. enjoyed it, to be honest. Well, congratulations, all the same. Um, I know you just started a, a new job, too, so that's that's exciting. That's nice to kind of roll into something new, too. Yes, I did, so a lot of changes within a month here, but I'm hoping it's going to be good. We'll see. We'll see. I'm really excited to be on here today. I just want to thank you guys for giving me a chance to talk with you guys about some of our favorite TV shows. Like Chernobyl. I know We watched that the other night together. And I know Travis is the one who initially brought that on to me. So I'm, I was really excited to be able to watch that with somebody else last night. Yeah, I really love Chernobyl. I think, you know, and it, it might be way too early in the year to say this, but I think this might be one of the best short series we get of the entire year. I, I think that this could be some of the best television of 2019. Oh, absolutely. I thought this premise was always interesting, and it, but it's always so massive it's hard to cover. There's a lot of details and... I mean, at that time, it was one of the biggest, what is it, one of the, I think it's only one of the biggest events in the world that that's ever happened like that with a radioactive meltdown. And yeah. it's it's astonishing to see, and just looking at the pictures, even if you've Googled them, I'm sure you, you've even seen them just in books, you know, the playground, everything else that's just d- deserted. When he even, the, the doctor even says that too, he's like, we are dealing with something that has never happened on this planet. And you, you notice the uh, guy, the header higher up, like his, the look on his face is like, I, like we're, they keep getting bad news. And granted, this is also the consequences of the, what happened in the first episode of all the denial and no, it's all okay. And they, they get to this point. So, I mean, when you think about it, yes, the meltdown happened, but it could have been taken care of a lot better and a lot faster. And I think that's kind of why it became so big. But that's what I like about the storytelling of this particular, the way they, they attack this. Because this was all very much in real time, and the way this plays out in the story is very much, they start from the moment of that an explosion happened. You actually see it in the window happening while a lady and uh, later her husband, I believe, or she sees it out the window while she's up in the middle of the night. It's terrifying. And we go from just that first episode of a lot of denial, and it was always, no, this is what it is. And not much looking into it past that. And we see the effects, especially going into episode two. But that's the way I've, I've loved the way they've laid this out. I think it takes a bit of history and it makes it more fascinating by feeding it to you in, in, in real time. Yeah, I love that they've able to take a piece of history and make it so incredibly entertaining. And, you know, and I've actually asked Brandon this before, but I wonder how accurate it is. And, you know, do they consider this to be historical fiction or just historical dramatization yeah when and it in certain instances it's hard to imagine or guess or 
predict what would have been said. Like the the guys in down in the waters in the episode in episode two. Like, you know, if they die down there, who's to say that they had a conversation? Who's to say what that conversation is? So it's I'm curious how they brought all this together. I'm sure some of it is kind of fill in the blanks, but a lot of it seems like especially with the dates, the times and the locations, it seems like whoever did put on put this all together did their homework. Well, I thought a lot of the details that they went into with the radiation traveling far away, almost 400 kilometers away and getting to that power station. I thought just subtle details where they explored not just what happened in that center, but how it affected outer regions and how it became so much more important in a race against time. It's crazy how fast that bad news gets worse because when they're all sitting there together and they're explaining, this is what's going to happen. We need three people. And when this happens and they give all the the details, they say like six or seven countries are going to be affected to an extensive degree. And then he's like, well, how much time we have? Two days, two to three days, 48 to 72 hours. And the look on his face was pure dread. And it, I think it was a very good beat in the scene itself. Well, a bit of the sombering moments that you see throughout that episode, especially with the higher up gentleman that's even in the first guy's, it's his superiors. And the one moment that comes to mind is when they're dropping the sand from the top into the, 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 the center core of the reactor. And that first helicopter flies too low. And within 10 seconds, the, the radiation had gotten to them and the plane just helplessly falls to the ground. It's just things like that you can see that have changed the course of how this show is you've it's viewed you know they want you to believe everything's fine everything's fine even though and realistically it's not and you really feel the dire peril that we're in at the end of episode two when and the thing is too is you see all of the citizens all of the workers in the hospital you see everybody around these reactors and you know that they're all dead like they they all died because of this whether it be a week from then five years from then birth defects stuff like that it's crazy to think that all of those people are affected by this, even though it doesn't necessarily seem like it right off the bat, like with the firefighters. How many episodes is this? I know we're, this is episode two. Are we, is this an eight, is this an eight or six part event? I think it's six. I think it's six. Yeah. See, this is, I mean, that would be a perfect, that's a perfect length for this, you know, and and now that we're getting the heels in kind of a transition, we're getting into Game of Thrones, but it's kind of a nice lead-in to have that next night because usually with HBO, there's you usually only have Sunday nights and that's it. It's kind of nice to have something else different in the week to look forward to, especially for a major network like that. And I think that they may try to start weekly, during, like during the week type of programming because this, especially if they do something like a miniseries, they could keep the programming fresh every six to eight weeks and still have something on Mondays and Tuesdays, which is super weird for HBO to have to do. Yeah. But with HBO, they're so well known for a lot of those documentary dramatizations, you know what I mean? Or, you know, they've had band of brothers. I mean, a lot of the war stuff that's out there, but they all, I don't think you also want to be just classified as that too. The, the miniseries are great, but I'd like to see fresh ideas as well too. Other than, you know, there are TV shows like Westworld where you're getting a series of that. But I do like when they put a lot of resources into just a short, you know, six episode series. Yeah, I actually just want to touch on what Travis said about these great historical shows coming out. Because there's more than just this one. There's been some really good stuff coming out. Netflix did their Rome series, which each season is about a different Caesar in his life. And they also did the Troy series. Both of those were phenomenal television. I really, really enjoyed those. And... It almost feels like we're entering this like almost golden age of historical television shows. Absolutely. And you also have recent stuff as well. I mean, you had Waco and you had People vs. OJ and you've had a lot of those dramatizations. So it, there's there's not a specific time frame that they have to be in too. And that's the great part about this is we're getting it from every decade. I mean, even, even different areas and different periods of time. It, you're right. There's a... We, ha- we haven't discovered everything yet, but the least of the stuff that we're getting out is quality. That's why we don't get as much. Which I'm, I'd rather do quality over quantity any day. Absolutely. 
Now, <clears throat> one of the reasons I I wanted Cole to pop in this episode is because he has been watching Game of Thrones since episode one, season one, the pilot. And especially with the apparently humongous controversy that this episode, The Bells, has stirred up, I wanted to get his take on what he thought of Daenerys's kind of, you know, turn to madness, her moment of madness. Uh, so as far as like what you expected from episode one to, I guess, how did, how did you feel Cole seeing Daenerys turn like that? Did it feel completely out of character? Did, were you kind of expecting it? I, I don't think it was out of character for her. I, I saw that online too, but I don't think it was out of character for her because I feel like this show just has such good writing that if you watch the first episode in the first season, you don't know what these characters are going to become and what they're going to become capable of. Like, if you go back and watch the first episode, the Jamie Lannister of that episode is a different one than the one we've seen in the last two seasons. So, no, I, I really, I don't, I was surprising, yes. Like, I was very surprised by what Daenerys did last episode, but I don't think that it was out of the blue or out of character. I mean, obviously, so far since she's been in Westeros, and she kind of mentions this at, at one point, but she's lost Jorah. She's starting to lose the crown because Jon told Arya and Sansa the biggest secret of Westeros. And she lost the dragon Rhaegal and Masande last week's episode. So, like, she's had nothing but bad things happen since this has, since she got over to this place. So, as far as being out of the blue i wasn't expecting I, I i was expecting it it didn't seem out of the blue for me yeah and i just want to respect what you said brennan she did lose everyone since she's come over to westeros denarius lost um jorah denarius lost melisandre denarius has lost everyone who was really her support system the only person who left is gray worm and last episode gray worm was not looking very good it looked like Grey Worm had fallen off the ledge farther than she has. It's like the everyone who was there to temper her and support her are either dead or in a worse mental position than she is, just based on what we saw. Well, of and Grey she's Worm. kind of shown throughout the series that burning people for her isn't as big of a deal as it is to everybody else. You know, she burned the Tarleys in season seven, even at Tyrion's. Like, no, don't do this. Like, and, and that was kind of the moment, I think, that was more, that kind of pushes more toward this moment of, she has done this before, but just with, you know, tens of thousands less people. Oh, I'm going to jump in now. I, I was I was just riveted with this, so I was enjoying. I thought that, I feel like a, what comes with a, a big show like this, uh, i.e., also, I can, another show I can remember is Breaking Bad, where a lot of people jumped on at the very end, and you're getting a lot of people who don't quite understand or rush a lot of this character development because you're watching it so quickly that you don't necessarily always realize it. And so, with Game of Thrones especially, people are being hypercritical. If you look at this episode, and even the back whole season 8, they have pushed us to this moment. It's not hidden. It's completely out there in the wide. It's out there wide open. If people are just looking past that, I, I, that's why I don't understand. There's literally a plea by Tyrion, please don't do this, and it's still done. That was almost the final straw, and you can see that if you just think of it as logically, you can tell there was a point she passed her breaking point at the end of the last episode, and at the beginning of this episode when she finally got to kind of get everything off her chest. It was more everything had been pent up and she got to tell John that she felt betrayed and she got to tell Tyrion you know she did exactly Sansa did exactly what you what she thought you were going to do and so she kind of got that all out in the open and then when the war came it was what she wanted to do it was her moment and she knew it was it that she she had done all she had done for everybody else yeah and that that's the thing too is Grey Worm in that scene with her in the very beginning, he gives her like uh, like the necklace, I think, and he just tosses it into the fire. And mm. and rewatching the episode, I realized, all right, that's the moment he realizes that he is now just a soldier because he has nothing else to live for. Like he's either going to die or he's going to win, but he's kind of hoping to die. 
Now, to take this a step back, because I think we're, get, we're, we're getting too far in, let's start at the beginning and let's kind of roll in. Because obviously we've spoiled it. Danny makes the great heel turn of all great heel turns and, you know, bad things happen. We will get there. But, I mean, we have the, we still have, when this is all, you know, this is now one only episode remains. So we had a lot of ends to tie up and there was a lot of death in this episode. Not just by Danny's hands, you know, with the dragon. I mean, there's just a lot of death in general. So start at the top, I'd, wherever you want to <laughs> jump in, Brandon. Well, to Danny's, to Danny's you know, side, I, I will say, because she does feel betrayed. And Varys does betray her. Granted, in, in season seven, Varys tells her he works for the realm. He always has, he always will. And she even tells him, if I get to that point, tell me. And he does. He told her in episode four, don't do this. And she did it anyway, and she lost her dragon because of it. And so Varys, especially during the dinner party at Winterfell, he knows. That's why he stands up and kind of watches her leave the room is because he knows that every time a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin and the world holds, holds its breath. And he tells Jon in this episode that he's still waiting for Daenerys' coin to land, but he knows or has a good feeling about where Jon's has. And it, I think what happens with Varys foreshadows what happens there at the end. Because Tyrion, Tyrion tells her and she burns him. Like, she she executes him. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like another... If you want to play this follow-back game, another one that's really interesting is that it was Varys who pushed Tyrion to partner with Daenerys. And so if it wasn't for what Varys told Tyrion, he might not be there to be telling Daenerys about Varys' betrayal, and in the end, that kind of, you know, I'm not going to say that Daenerys wouldn't have killed him anyway, because she had the whole plot figured out before then, and she had the rumor traced back and knew everything that was going on, but it, I found it sad to see Tyrion being there, really kind of leading to the death of the guy who saved him. Exactly, and I got that a lot more throughout this episode. And with this, I, I thought that was the beginning of the end because we really came in for a deep descent on Daenerys. I mean, we all kind of knew it, even though a lot of people seemed to be surprised by it. It's kind of her episode. I, I really thought in the beginning, I thought this was going to be Tyrion's last episode. I really did. You know, just the way those first couple scenes went and we already knew he was on thin ice and we saw the execution and... I was worried. I really thought, you know, how is this going to happen? And we get a little bit further along in the episode. And to me, that battle sequence really was a lot better to me, but it was better than episode three. You know, A, we could see a lot more, but I thought that's also what made the battle so great as well, too, is, or even, even just the destruction. It was realistic. Yeah, it felt like... What do I do? Especially with John and Grey Worm, you know that moment where Danny makes the turn and he doesn't know what to do. He's frozen. And Grey Worm just lights up. Boom! And it's just it. It was a very intense moment, but you also felt the struggle, and that's what I really like. What Game of Thrones does is with these characters, they're they're bringing you in, and you have that same feeling where, in that self moment, you go, "Why?" You know. You know why Daenerys is doing this, but at the same time, you also see John immediately realizes I have fought for the wrong side, just in that straightened moment. And you see that a little bit further throughout the episode. But I I enjoyed how they took this, and really, with all the other storylines wrapping up, we they gave us a straight path of we know what the showdown's going to be, but they did it in a subtle way where we're very excited because we're still not a lot of information that we have yet. When if you think about it too. All of this, technically, in a way, is John's fault. And when I say that, he is the one who got Daenerys help to help. And in doing so, she lost her first dragon to the Night King. Then she lost a bunch of her people. Then she lost her second one. Then she was betrayed by his family. So it all stems from him initially asking for help. Granted, they weren't going to win without her. But it's still one of those things that... 
even though Danny has gone mad, John is the linchpin that started it all for her on this side of Westeros. Because I remember before this season started, there was an article that I think somebody or some people at a college said that those who change alliances often live. And Varys was one that, I guess he never changed alliances because he was always for the realm, but he did in the sense that he worked for this queen and was rooting for this king. And I think it's going to be interesting. I don't think we've seen the rest of what he's done because at that very beginning scene, you see a bunch of little scrolls ready to be sent as he's writing Jon Snow is Aegon Targaryen and, and all that bit. And in the, in the following scene, when the guards come and get him, they're all gone. So I think he had a chance to send all those out. And next episode is going to be the people from Winterfell and the Free Folk coming to fight for Jon. And all of the Starks coming back to fight for Jon. And realizing that Daenerys is now the bad guy. She is now the villain. Do you think that is going to end with everybody fighting? Do you think it's going to end with another big battle? Or do you think that this is just going to be like someone's going to assassinate the other? Or someone's going to have the ability to capture the others outside of king's landing like you know i kind of just see that it's gonna be a game of assassination i think i think that's kind of where it's headed there's a there's a theory that aria uh because she at one point says i'm going to kill the queen she technically didn't say which queen but i think i think from a storytelling standpoint you can't have her kill the night king and also kill the mad queen like it'd be i mean that's a hell of a resume don't get me wrong, but I think at this point, John is the one who brought her, and he feels that it's all on him, so I think he has to be the one to do it. And that's the problem with Arya, is, yeah, obviously you can't have both wins at the same time, because then her death or her defeat, because obviously she's probably, I wouldn't say she's not going to take the throne, but that is one of those outcomes where we've kind of been drawn into John, and I don't know if that's just a rue. But with her, you can't have it all. And I feel if she died, her death would be meaningless because you've done such magnificent things. Unless her death, which would be the biggest of them all, would have to be through Daenerys. I mean, that would be the only person that would have to kill. But again, she has to kill Daenerys for this to happen. I think that Danny is going to die by Dragonglass. I have a feeling that's going to be the only thing handy whether it be Arya or Jon, I think that she's going to get stabbed in the heart with Dragonglass because, and then that's the same way that the, the Night King was created. I think she's going to get stabbed in the heart with that, become the Night Queen, and we find that it's always a cycle. Like the White Walkers will always come back, but then there always has to be a king or queen. Because again, I, I still don't feel done with the White Walkers. It just seems too clean. Yeah, I I agree with that. I could see something like that happening. I'm not sure how, but I remember in the first episode we saw the dismembered boy on one of the castle walls, one of the uh, Night Watch castle walls. I can't remember which one, and it looked like he was in the shape of the Targaryen symbol. And it could be that you know always or the Targaryen was the first Night King, and a Targaryen always has to be the Night King for one reason or another. It makes sense too, since the Night King could not be burnt. And that's kind of where I'm basing this from because I think it, I think the king or queen always has to be a Targaryen. And I think the reason that John kind of isn't in that his coin could go either way is because, and this shows with his dark hair, that the Stark is the dominant gene in him rather than Targaryen. Which makes sense. I mean, I, it's a deep cut theory. I just, I don't know if... Uh... Is it, do you see another way of this playing out? I mean, both of you have somewhat similar theories about, you know, who it should be. Is there anything else that you could see that would surprise anybody? Or, I mean, to me, nothing has surprised us so much in this series because they've kind of always led you into it, especially this season. Is there another way you could see this happening at all whatsoever? Oh, there's totally a million other possibilities. The thing about the show is it's such good writing that you really can't guess how it's going to end even though we're so close i mean there's still a chance that daenerys is gonna 
capture John and Tyrion and execute them, and that this show's going to end by Daenerys killing off the Starks and killing off everyone in Westeros that we cared about because she has come in and conquered. She's become the conquered of this place, and the only way to do that was through blood and fire, and the cost of her sitting on the throne is all the characters that we loved and cared about. Now, one thing I'm curious about, and this is slightly off topic, what about all the children out there right now who are named Khaleesi or Daenerys? If, I mean, especially with what just happened, they now have a legacy that they need to try and avoid. My son's name is Harrison, and his nickname is Harry. And I've, trust me, I already know the Harry Potter stuff's coming, so I know this from experience that it's just a name. You know, I I think in terms of that, I mean, there's different nicknames. You would never call him Daenerys. So you'd call him Danny. There would be another way of that happening. I, also, if you named your kid off a TV show that didn't Shame end and you, you don't know, and no, and you don't know how it ended, how that person ended up, ha- you know, that is just a little Especially weird in, in a that. show like this. Well, not <laughs> only that, but with just in real world stuff, people end up being bad that we didn't think were bad. So it's kind of weird to name yourself, you know, name. A, somebody your child or have known somebody that's named after a celebrity because you never know what's going to happen <laughs> now Tyrion, Tyrion I think would get the vote for this episode as best overall character because the whole time from the best time acting. he from the time that we see him to the time that the episode ends he's continuously fighting for the citizens of King's Landing and he even tells Daenerys, he's like, if they think Cersei is lost, they'll they'll lay down their swords, they'll ring the bells, and that means that it's yours. And she she kind of gives him the cold shoulder, is what she does. And she says that Jamie was captured at the line, um, and that the next time she he fails her will be the last time he fails her. And so I have a feeling Tyrion might die next week possibly through no fault of his own i think daenerys is just going to start burning people and again i think she's going to get to john and that's when she's going to have her proof because they've teased it at least three times i want to see john in fire now i have a question because you you are both a lot more versed at game of thrones than i am we've so we've obviously known this because i'm listening and enjoying the banter that you both have my one theory is We've seen it twice throughout this series with Tyrion, and obviously Jamie had a hit on them. And obviously that's no longer the case. Are we going to see that happen to come back at all now? And I, obviously I know Cersei has fallen, you know, Daenerys has reigned, you know, and Jamie's also dead as well. Do you see that being a out, possible outcome for him where we think he's going to get the happy ending only to have him being struck down? I think there's a possibility Bronn comes to him and he's like, where's Highgarden? And he's like, I can't give it to you. And he dies. And he kills him right there. I think that if Tyrion's going to die, though, it's going to be like a really epic death. I feel like he's going to be burned at the stake by Daenerys while she's going mad or something. I, I don't think Bronn's going to come back and kill Tyrion. And I think Bronn might be who Tyrion's going to right now. Like He might walk out of King's Landing and be running to Bronn because he's like, hey, man, I have one more job for you to do, and that's to kill Danny. What if Bronn becomes the king? I it's gonna be like the end of Sopranos where it just goes black and everybody gets really mad. I saw that on Twitter. Somebody's like, it's just gonna fade out to black in the middle of music and shit. One of my favorite jokes J.R.R. Martin ever made is that if people kept rushing to finish the books, it would end with snow blowing over the graves of all our favorite characters. <laughs> Which is awesome. Granted, okay he's also that. in retrospect said that he should have finished the books prior to the following seasons coming out. But, I mean, you, you kind of... There's really nothing you could do at that point except write the books. Yeah, and I actually just want to come back to one thing you said about Tyrion, like, stealing this episode or being the main focus of the episode. And for me, it was Arya. Like, seeing Arya run through those streets, that was some of the most edge-of-my-seat, pulse-rating scenes in this entire series. I absolutely love that part of the episode. I thought Arya had a phenomenal episode and that really pulled me in and made me fall in love with this. Well, and, and one thing that uh, the producers said, uh, D.B. Weiss and David Benisoff, they were talking about the episode afterward and they said that a lot of times you see the battlefield, you just see the battle and not so often do you see 
the other people that it's it's affecting, like the citizens. And that's why once Daenerys took off on the dragon, that's pretty much that's all we saw of, of her. We saw the dragon, we saw the fire, but it was all from the ground. And they said that if you just saw extras burning and falling, you don't really have an emotional connection to that. Whereas when they had Arya, you know, right in the middle of it, you're, you fear for her. So you're much more drawn into the scene and it makes you care about it a lot more. And yeah, I really think that her experience of running through those streets, seeing those burned bodies and experiencing what Daenerys crazy yes. was really changed Arya in a way that we haven't seen yet. And that I think is going to be a major influence in the next episode. I think that that will have be a major changing point really for who Arya is and or what her character is. And I think that she's walking out of there thinking Daenerys has to go. That's what I'm thinking. And John, John realizes that too. Well, j- just to kind of circle around back on Tyrion, I felt the moments that he shined really brought his character to light. Though he didn't do much, I thought the goodbye with Jamie was absolutely heartbreaking, and I'm glad it had its own special moment for it. But even, even seeing him now, you just see more he's in that moment of, he cannot believe the world that's going on around him, especially through that battle scene. I completely agree with you. I think that, I mean, I think of the scene of Tyrion standing in the breach of the wall, and I feel like in that moment, you could see the weight of it all crashing in on him. You felt that, and that was phenomenal acting, and that was a phenomenal scene by him, and I, I really felt like you, you got the emotion of it crumbling around him right there. And he, at, at that moment, as soon as, as soon as Daenerys took off, I'm sure his heart leapt into his throat and she started burning everything. And I think that was the specific moment he was like, I fucked up. Now, a big moment that I want to get to is with Cersei. You know, we have talked, you know, she's built up to such a a big ego in her mind. And, you know, she's been such a force. And we've, we've thought about this. To see her fall at the hands the way she did, do you feel it's more justified? Did you really enjoy that death? Did you think it was... Because I know people had an issues with that as well, too. I To me, I thought it was fitting, but I'd like to hear what uh, both of you have to think about that. Before I even talk about the death of Cersei, I just want to touch on the great scene. I, or the great... What I thought was excellent was seeing her in the red creep, watching the city fall, and she just kept denying it. And you just see this denial, denial, denial that it's even possible. And then I felt like you had that scene of Daenerys going like street by street, burning the city. And you could see Cersei's expression of almost pure disbelief, pure disbelief that Daenerys could be capable of this, that any of this was possible. And really, I felt like this whole... That whole saga of her watching that was reality crashing down around the world that she had built and her being unable to really cope with it in the moment. I, I agree. You, she goes through this and right before Kyburn tells her that they have to go, she's like, well, the Iron Fleet will take care of it and the Scorpions will take care of it. And he's like, all the Scorpions are gone. The Iron Fleet is no more. She's like, he he tells her, it's basically time to go. And about that time is when Daenerys starts tearing down the towers around the Red Keep. And with with that shot that you kind of, that I think it zooms in on, you see that Daenerys isn't just burning parts of the city. She's burning the whole fucking thing down. She just doesn't care. And the other very, I don't know, small but significant thing as well was the green explosions because her father set those there. Yes. Cersei may have taken a bunch out, but in seeing that we came full circle and realized that she just finished her father's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, she, like, right. She wasn't really emotional in the red keep there, but when they got to the bottom of the keep of the land with Jamie and they were trying to escape, I think that is the first time in the entire series I've ever seen Cersei terrified i think that is the only time cersei's ever shown true fear she says you know she doesn't want her baby to die that she wants her baby to survive it all and that that is why she's scared and that is a really good reason and understandable and i think that is so much emotion that 
it's kind of like everything that she should have been expressing in the Red Keep, she just goes and falls apart in the basement, and it comes out then. Yeah, because her disbelief also was so emotionless as well. You didn't see her give a lot of emotion. It was very still, very much deadpan, very not trying to show, because she, she knew right away. The moment that she started taking out the wall and taking out her people, we all understood. But to me, it was just that calm that we got to see throughout all of it. And it was more disbelief. And I think that's what people were disappointed with at the end. There wasn't as much emotion to it. But if you think about it, everything she has worked for has now just crumbled in front of her eyes within 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, I thought that it was a satisfying end to Cersei's story. And, you know, people talk about... Or Daenerys acting out of character for this episode, but I think if anything, the most out of character thing was Cersei running, Cersei trying to escape. You know, I really thought that Cersei's story was going to end with her saying, "Either I win this, or I'm going to die here in my throne room." It, I think, if anything was out of character, that was it. And of course, she explained that she was concerned about her child dying, so of course she tried to escape because she wanted her child to survive, and. You know, I thought that that would lead into, like, a new lost ruler or heir who's going to come back and overthrow Daenerys and however long. But I I do think that in the end it was a very satisfying and good, good ending. I think a part of that, too, is because so far it's all worked out. And once once they get to that tunnel that's blocked off and Jamie's running around trying to find somewhere out, it hits her that, all right, this is it. Like, she she realizes that she did mess up, she did make a mistake, and she should have left earlier, but she can't now. One thing that, that I liked was, or rather, the Clegane Bowl was greatly satisfying. I loved it. I thought oh, it was... brutal. It wasn't too long, it was brutal, but not too brutal, and it ended really the only way it could. And so I, I really enjoyed every moment of that. I love the Clegane Bowl. I thought it was fantastic. And even before the battle started, I felt like we had that amazing scene between the Hound and Arya. Where, like, they he stopped her and tells her, don't come in oh, here yeah. or she's going to die. And he ended up dying, which is the which was the best way he could have died, though. Get, finally killing his brother. And with Arya, I felt like that was a really important scene. Because this season, we've seen such adult Arya. We've seen... You know, Arya had her first sexual encounter. Arya whacked the Night King. Arya is, you know, being an adult and a leading figure. But at the end of the day, she is still a child. And I feel like that was the moment when he grabbed her. And he's like, you don't want to be like me. And you kind of realize, like, oh, man, Arya's a kid. She has so much more life to live. And she doesn't have to be like him. Mm -hmm. And I think she was on the path to being like the Hound. When they were riding to King's Landing together, that's what it felt like. You know, she is riding in a shadow. She is becoming him, another vengeful version, or, you know, another person obsessed with vengeance in Westeros. And I think the Hound, in that moment, literally and metaphorically turned Arya around. He, you know, said, no, and you have a second chance here. You don't have to be like me. You don't have to die here. You don't have to be there. Well, she even, well, she even thanks him. She turns yeah. around and thanks him at the end. And you, I think... That's why I think there's something more to her character because we've seen so much more maturity than we have and we've gotten to see a lot more of her this season than we've been able to and it's also been in bigger moments, not just a, a small backstory that kind of leaks through a couple minutes an episode. So for me, the payoff that we get every time we see her on screen and see her mature or see her get away like we did in episode three because she disappears and then we see her to get to come back and, but even just from, from episode one and her finally getting to, to see John again and just seeing that full circle moment, it's really built her character and her confidence all the way up to this point. And so I'm excited to see where she turns from there. I, I think other than... I think the only other story we have to wrap up is uh, Euron's, right? Greyjoy? Did yeah. Did we talk about him yet? No. Euron... That was intriguing. That wasn't quite exactly... Like, I figured it would be Jaime versus Euron, but I I don't know, I was expecting more, but at the same time, I couldn't expect more. Like, Euron even says right before they start going at it, like, you're a cripple. Like, what are you going to do? Your your best days are behind you. And Bronn even says that in the episode before. And so, he actually gets to use his hand to hit, hit him, finally. But I, I think that was... 
it was satisfying. And I know a lot of people on the internet don't like that Jamie went back to Cersei, but regardless, and, and somebody put up a good comment, just because you've done a few good deeds doesn't make you a good person. And Jamie kind of comes to terms with that before he leaves Brienne in Winterfell. I feel like for Jamie, Cersei is an addiction. Like, she is killing him, she's ruining him, and he still keeps going back, and he knows he shouldn't, he knows it's bad for him, but he does it anyway. And I really had a soft spot for Jamie, so I did not like Greyjoy at all. I was really happy to see him die in the end, and it was satisfying. But what really pissed me off is that seeing him sit there saying, I'm the man who killed Jamie Lannister, which in my book... No, it was the castle that fell on top of Jamie. <laughs> yeah. So was it dra- was it the dragon? Was it Daenerys? Or was it the fall of all the boulders? Poor workmanship. That's what it was. Now, one one thing I wanna I wanna make a note of is the scene right or as Daenerys is flying over King's Landing right before she starts going ham on everything, um, that specific shadow of the dragon over the city. Bran actually saw in season four episode two like that exact scene which is really interesting and I, I didn't pick it out right away somebody on the internet did and I've I thought that's really interesting because they also brought up her Daenerys's vision from the house of the undying where she's walking through the throne room and it's snowing and it's destroyed at this point we know that that's ash and not snow so regardless of what others say, I think that Daenerys, Daenerys's madness is justified from a storytelling standpoint. And even Amelia Clark says, like, when it comes down to it, she's a Targaryen. Like, I, there's really nothing. Well, that's when it, when it all boils down to it, she's a Targaryen. And this was kind of how it was going to end. No, I completely agree with you. I do not think that it was out of her character. Like, she said she was going to come and conquer in blood and fire. Or, you know, and I think that is exactly what has happened. And anyone who is surprised just hasn't been listening to her. She, and the problem is that we've only seen Daenerys as a liberator before this. Across the sea, she was just setting people free and was always welcomed in the cities that she was capturing. But in Westeros, she is a conqueror. She is blood and fire. She is here to conquer Westeros. This is what she wants. And she told Tyrion, you know, all I have here is fear. And last episode, we saw her establish the fear of her world. And I think next episode, we're going to see her expand it. I like that. I thought that was pretty good. I, I, I'm impressed. Yeah. Travis did a great job. I'm impressed, too. I stand silent as ever. <laughs> no, well, we have, this is our last episode coming up on Sunday. And from there, it just will live in history after that. And at least at this point, we'll have a, a full Game of Thrones story as well. Like, I, I, I hold a personal, you know, theory, not theory, I don't know. So something that I do with TV shows is it's really hard to, to say goodbye. see how good a TV show is until you see its ending. Like The Shield or How I Met Your Mother. The ending of that ruined nine years of work but then the shield rescue me ones like those had very good justified endings that didn't leave you i thought breaking bad did well they did they did a good job as well absolutely yeah i think you know it's just what about hey throw up any show i mean because it's hard to make a finale of a show a if you're lucky enough to make a show that goes x amount of seasons to have a conclusion is very difficult and on your own terms as well too so i'm I hope for just a conclusion of the story. I don't want to have to ponder for the rest of time on this TV show. Why didn't you do this? Or why did you do that? Or, you know, I don't want to question anything. I want to be okay with it. That's why things like Endgame worked out very well. Because I felt the end. Whether, you know, you liked it, hated it. I don't know anybody who hated it. But I know people who had issues with it. I You know, I liked it. And that was a good conclusion to a story. That's what I'm hoping for with Game of Thrones on Sunday. When, and... One thing that, that I posted on Twitter was that when George R. R. Martin started the series, he had an idea of where this was going to go. And that's that's the cool part. Is even in the very first episode of the series, there's a, a whore, as they're known in Westeros, who's talking with Viserys, Daenerys' brother. 
And she talks about a man who changed faces as fast as he changed clothes. And she burns him with the wax and it hurts. It's little things like that that you don't actually see come to fruition until later on. And so you get this entirely closed off, circular, full, complete story. And I'm expecting that from the finale of Game of Thrones. Anything else to anything else to look forward to? Cole, what do you what else are you watching? Do we have anything else that we can get from you? Yeah, I mean, I'm also watching Barry. I really love that show right now. Barry's very Barry's good. So I'm good. I'm I'm halfway through season one, so I am catching up with you, gentlemen. So I'm I very much enjoy that. That's good though. I mean, Chernobyl's. I'm in, I'm very excited to see where that goes. Um, that story is fascinating. The finale of Barry is the same as this Sunday as well for season two. Well, I won't say anything to give anything away to you, Travis, but I got to tell you, man, season two of Barry is phenomenal. Season one was so good, and with the way it ended, I had no idea how they were going to keep it going, and I think season two is just as good, if not better. I, I really, really am loving that. See, and that's what I'm excited, and I've heard even the people who say Barry has to live up to Game of Th- being on after Game of Thrones, I've heard is to have done a very good job of holding its own for what it is, and that, that shows a strong TV show as well, something that can be behind one of the biggest tv shows in history honestly it's it's interesting to think that 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 that's uh oh man i can't even what can i think of his name who plays barry bill Hader. why what the fuck uh yeah it's crazy to think that that's bill Hader, especially when you see him and anything else (laughs) yeah i mean being on snl and being a writer for snl and you know no, I mean, his improv work is great, but also his writing work, I think, is a little bit underhanded for how smart and brilliant he is as just being funny and being able to put funny on a screen. I mean, he's like Kumail and a lot of these other guys who are, I think are very funny that are finally getting their chance to show, whether it be acting, directing, or doing something else. Yeah, and you know, I kind of put Atlanta in the same category as Barry as that show that you really didn't mm-hmm. know you wanted so bad, and when it shows up, you just love it so much, and it's so funny, and it's funny in a really unique way that I feel like I haven't seen much of before. Which I, I think a third season of that should be coming out sometime this year. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, there's just that's the great thing about TV. There's too many things to watch, and there's a lot of people who get a chance to show, which is nice. And it's not always bigger names that get a chance to shine that end up being your favorite things out there. Um, Brandon, I know you and I, we're going to make it happen. We're having scheduling conflicts, you and I next week, or yeah, in a week. Yeah, next we'll, one week. We will get a podcast out some way or another while you're out in Vegas. Um, hopefully, it'll be a little bit longer than we anticipate. Anything else that you're looking forward to right now? I mean, any uh, have you? Did you see any movies this weekend? Did you see Detective Pikachu or anything like that? No, we were we were gonna go tonight, but I have to do laundry and pack for my trip, so I have to be an adult. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know how that is. So I'm I'm looking forward to. I think Animal Kingdom season four comes out May twenty eighth. I know that's a little bit. That's a couple weeks away, but I am looking forward to that. That's a great show on TNT. Other than that, I don't know much else that's out there right now. I'll catch up on Barry with you gentlemen. But, Cole, this was fun. I, I very much thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yes, thank you. You've been a great part of the show. I think I think having three people was a lot of fun. I hope everybody enjoys it as much as we did. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. I've had such a fun time talking with you guys today. You know, I've been a long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's all right. Well, with that being said, thank you for joining us. I am B. Frank. I am Travis. I'm Cole the roommate. And we are worth the admission. Take care.